every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Monday, the 18th of December, at the start of the final week before Christmas. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, Nicholas Agazan is set to leave his role as chief executive of Hong Kong stock exchange operator HKEX. Mr. Agazan, a former JP Morgan banker, informed the board that he will not seek reappointment at the end of his current contract in May 2024. The exchange has named its first woman chief executive. Bonnie Chan, one of the firm's two co-chief operating officers, will take over in May 2024, succeeding Mr. Agazan as chief executive with a three-year term. China's economy posted mixed results in November as policymakers continue to grapple with an array of challenges, including a real estate slowdown and deflation. Industrial production came in ahead of analyst expectations at 6.6%, expanding at the fastest pace since February last year. Retail sales were lower than economists' forecasts, rising 10.1% year-on-year. Hong Kong Financial Secretary Paul Chan on Sunday said the government needs to control its spending amid pressure on the public purse. Writing on his blog, Mr Chan said government expenditure has grown much faster than its revenue in recent years, even if anti-pandemic measures were excluded. Mr Chan said he expected a budget shortfall of just over 100 billion Hong Kong dollars in the financial year ending March, which will be double the amount anticipated at the start of the year. He said it's possible the government will stay in the red for 2024 to 25 as well. President Xi Jinping said Chinese modernization will benefit US firms in a letter sent to mark the 50th anniversary of a committee on China-US trade. The letter was read out at a gala dinner in Washington during which US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen accused Beijing of unfair economic practices. President Xi wrote in his letter that Chinese modernization will bring more opportunities to global enterprises, including American ones. There is great potential, broad space and promising prospects for strengthening China-US trade cooperation he said. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Frederick Chu, Managing Director at Magnum Research. Providing a view from mainland China will be Brock Silvers, CIO at Kion Capital. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Friday, shares on Wall Street closed out their seventh straight week of gains. The Dow closed up 56 points, or 0.2%, at a new all-time high of 37,305. The S&P 500 was virtually unchanged at 4,719. The Nasdaq Composite closed up 52 points, or 0.4%, at 14,814. The Nasdaq 100 ended Friday at a new record high. The S&P 500 was up 2.4% on the week and is within 2% of the record high it hit in January 2022. And the index is up seven weeks in a row, its longest winning streak in six years. The Dow climbed 2.9% over the week, while the Nasdaq Composite added 2.8% over the same period. The yield on the 10-year US Treasury note fell to 3.92%, down 31 basis points on the week to a five-month low. The 30-year yield tumbled 30 basis points to 4. 
0.01%. That's the lowest level since July the 31st. The US dollar index jumped 0.6% to 102.5 on Friday after Fed President John Williams told CNBC the central bank isn't really talking about rate cuts right now and it's premature to be thinking about a March interest rate cut. However, the index saw a steep weekly decline falling 1.3%. The yen traded 0.2% lower at 142.15 but near a four-month high to the dollar having appreciated sharply against the greenback in recent sessions. The yuan traded 0.1% lower at 7.1179 after the People's Bank of China injected 1.45 trillion yuan into the economy through its medium-term lending facility. Gold prices fell on Friday as the US dollar rebounded, ending the session 0.9% lower at $2,018 an ounce. For the week, it was up 0.7%. Brent crude oil futures settled down 0.1% at $76.55 a barrel. And for the week, Brent rose 0.9%. That's its first weekly rise in two months. Bitcoin and Ethereum were both down around 4.5% on the week. Bitcoin ended the week at $42,170. Hong Kong stocks surged in their best week in more than four months after China took measures to spur home sales in top-tier cities. Optimism about an imminent end to global rate hikes also fanned the gains. The Hang Seng surged 390 points, or 2.4%, to end at 16,792 on Friday, rallying for the second straight session and jumping by 2.8% for the week. And the index also notched its highest level in two weeks. The tech index surged 2.2% Friday and was up 2% for the week. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.6% to 2,943. And for the week, it was down 0.9%. Does look like, though, the Hang Seng is going to see some sharp losses at the open. Futures markets pointing to a decline of about 240 points. That's 1.4%, with the index starting the day trading at 16,550. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Time to welcome our Monday morning guests. We have with us this morning, Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hi, morning, Peter. And also with us, Frederick Chu, Managing Director at Magnum Research. Good morning to you, Frederick. Good morning, Peter. Now, Nicholas Agazan is to leave his role as chief executive of Hong Kong's stock exchange operator. Mr. Agazan, who's a former JP Morgan banker, informed the board that he won't seek reappointment at the end of his current contract, which ends on the 23rd of May next year. The exchange has named its first woman chief executive. Bonnie Chan, one of the firm's two co-chief operating officers, will take over in May 2024, succeeding Mr. Agazan as chief executive with a three-year term. And Hong Kong Exchange's share price has plunged 42% since Mr. Agazan's term began in the depths of the coronavirus pandemic and has presided over six consecutive quarterly profit declines. The bourse's third quarter results showed revenues from trading activity fell 10% from a year ago, while stock listing fees slipped by a fifth. And IPO deals in Hong Kong are on track for the slowest year in more than two decades. Cash equity trading this year was down 16% compared to last year. And the market's benchmark Hang Seng Index has dropped over 15% this year. And meanwhile, India's National Stock Exchange has overtaken Hong Kong's uh, to be among the world's largest trading venues. 
Um, Alex, it's been a challenging year, hasn't it? I'm not sure how much um, those dire figures could be down to Mr. Agazam, because I presume anyone who was the CEO of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange over the last three years would have faced quite some considerable hurdles. Yeah, of course. I think uh, this is not about the um, personnel problem. This is about the, um, the the macro problem we are facing. Uh, the continuous decline in the in the Hong Kong market and um, and also the um, lack of interest of IPO, I think uh, is a uh, very um, bad for the Hong Kong EX. So I don't think uh, it is a uh, it's a fault. I think uh, this is uh, just the environment. And is it going to get better? Uh, I don't think uh, we would get much better. Uh, probably uh, we may still see turnover to remain low, um, even though probably price-wise we may have some support uh, and, and we may see some rebound in price, but I don't think the turnover would improve much. And IPO actually would not be uh, too much uh, uh, better as well because... Um, if you look at Shein decisions, even if they face some hurdle to list in the U.S., actually they are talking to the LSE. I think that is a quite bad uh, signal for Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frederick, what, what are your thoughts on this? As Alex says, it's, it's probably not really a personnel problem, is it? There's some real structural issues and, and macroeconomic issues. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the uh, traditionally the the exchange is very, very much subject to the uh, capital market situation. Uh, if you look at um, uh, when Gucho comes in uh, three years ago, it's basically the, the worst time of the of the year, uh, you know, in, in history uh, for the exchange, uh, where, where you compare with, um, you know, his predecessors, uh, which is really not something that uh, one person can can change. But I do look looking on the bright side. I mean, um, you know, we, we can see the exchange is, is putting in much effort to um, develop some of the auxiliary businesses, um, for instance, the fund, fund distribution platform, you know, uh, things on the ETFs, uh, you know, to try to do it a little bit more when the IPO is not as good as expected. But then instead of just sitting there and wait for the time to come back, um, they try to do some something, something, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in catching up with the trend, which I think, you know, the exchange do have quite a bit of uh, things, uh, you know, on automation, digitalization, etc., you know, or, or acting as a regulator uh, or quasi-regulator in helping the financial markets in, in Hong Kong to diversify. I think that's something that, um, you know, I would expect from a CEO background, uh, uh, incoming CEO. I mean, to be fair to Mr. Agazan, under his watch, he has expanded trading links, hasn't he, between um, Hong Kong and the mainland. We have interest rate swaps now, exchange-traded funds included. He's also bought in the yuan counter-trading to try and boost the use of the Chinese currency. These are presumably all all good things and, and the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the expanding of trading links in, in between Hong Kong and China, it is definitely... You know, one value to add, but you know, given the uh, the general you know perception into China Asia's market at the moment, uh, it's it's not really reflecting uh, at the moment. But for the longer term, I think uh, you know the exchange can can build up uh, you know uh, quite a bit more. Mm. Alex, the, 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 I'm wondering though about the Hong Kong exchanges strategy. Is, is it on track? Because its strategy seems to be now to, to try and get Middle Eastern companies and other Asian companies to list in, uh, list in Hong Kong. Do you think that's going to work? 
I think at least this is a, the right direction. It is quite difficult to 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 predict whether it will work or not because uh, first of all, uh, for for Southeast Asian companies, actually they all always can pick the uh, the US as well. Uh, we have Grab, we have C uh, listed in the US, and they are quite popular. Mm. Uh, so um, they they. They, we still need to compete with the U.S. for for those uh, areas. I think Middle East probably would be uh, easier for Hong Kong, but uh, interest for Middle East companies may not be too much uh, in the meantime, uh, because uh, even though they are performing quite well, but uh, the sector wise, I think uh, is quite concentrated, and people actually get need to get acquainted with uh, those companies. So mm. I think. Uh, the strategy is 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 right in the direction is right in direction, but uh, it needs time to execute. I mean, we do have this Saudi Arabian ETF, which was listed last month, wasn't it? But the problem is, there's just not many of them, is there? Even if we make it a core part of the strategy, there's not a lot of Middle Eastern companies and, and ETFs that could list in Hong Kong. Yeah, uh, we have already the largest one listed already uh, in Hong Kong, and I think that probably interest may be picking up later on. As we see the performance are to improve, uh, and then also in Hong Kong, property people uh, would like to diversify their their, their allocation. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is not easy to 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 get a, um, acquainted with uh, the individual companies uh, behind the ETF. So I think. Uh, it takes it will take a lot of time to to see the results. Mm. The the problem is people regard the Hong Kong Exchange as basically uh, a, a window for Chinese companies, but you have the sort of safe haven here of uh, English common law and and sort of international regulations. It, it seems that moving away from that is going to be quite tough, isn't it? Unless we sort of s- stick with that, it, it's going to be very difficult to explain what is the purpose of Hong Kong. Yeah, but I think uh, uh, if you just stick with a Chinese company, then probably uh, this is uh, uh, already uh, we have already seen the best time over, mm. and and so we need to uh, move towards other area to try to uh, make use of the uh, current infrastructure to diversify the 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 the, the listed company structure. So I think uh, this is a good move, but uh, of course uh, uh, it is difficult. Mm. Frederick, do, do you think strategy is on track? What do you think of this effort to try and get Middle Eastern companies to, to come and list in Hong Kong? Um, honestly, I don't really um, think the Middle Eastern company will be, you know, picking Hong Kong as as a priority uh, for listing. I mean, the, apart from going to the US, which is, uh, you know, um, maybe it has a higher bar then the second choice would definitely be Europe which you know Middle East is, has, has been all closely uh, connect with legally and um, and commercially uh, I mean in recognition of the of the uh, financial legal framework they're very much more you know familiar with the with the European uh, version um, you know putting up a Middle Eastern company in Hong Kong, whether via, you know, uh, a wrapper or, you know, a direct listing, um, you know, first of all, I, I think it's the attracting, uh, you know, a, a, attraction from the from the general investors, uh, which I agree with Alex is going to take a much, much longer time. Um, for the exchange, I think uh, it's, it's probably time for the exchange to rethink as, you know, being, a, you know, a middleman, 
for the Chinese company to to come here. I think I think there there still be a market of that because of the geopolitical reasons that you know company used to choose to go to US uh, may remain in Hong Kong even though the much market cap is much much smaller, um, but still a way out. But on the on the flip side, I think the exchange should probably come into more you know um, play around on the on. You know, as as a quasi regulator, as as I as I repeated, uh, how to how to beef up the how to build out the entire you know financial market, uh, how to contribute to the to the to, to the sustainable development of the financial market in Hong Kong. Has Hong Kong just got to ride it out? I mean, its role, which has been a good one, has been bringing Chinese companies to the world to the attention of international investors by by listing here in Hong Kong. Obviously, those deals have dropped quite considerably um, over the last year or so. I mean, proceeds from from IPOs have fallen fifty nine percent year on year. But the, the strategy isn't necessarily wrong, is it? Has, has Hong Kong just got to ride it out, or are we not going to ever get back to those levels of IPOs? And now we need to do something different. Yeah, it's not wrong. I mean, it's correspond with the uh, proposition of Hong Kong itself, but it's just a timing issue. Uh, before, when the company, when Chinese company come to Hong Kong to list and internationalize their uh, th- themselves, it's at the time when the foreign investors would love to buy those companies, right? Mm. But right now, the foreign investors would want to divest from you know uh, China companies, which, which is a, which is a fundamental problem for the job of the of the listings. Do you, what do you think, Alex? Do you think we just got to try and ride it out, or do you think maybe we're not going to get back to the sort of levels of of listings that we saw in the past, and therefore we need to carve a new role for ourselves? Yeah, I think uh, we need to look for um, new uh, source of uh, IPO because uh, uh, in the in, in in China, I think uh, we have uh, several attractive ones uh, still not listed. But as I've said, Shin is talking to the LSE right now, and that is a very big. Uh, damage to image actually uh, because uh, the better ones actually or the bigger ones actually are picking up um, other places and, and Hong Kong is not the preferred uh, destination anymore then that mm. means that you have to do something else uh, otherwise I think uh, uh, relying, on, relying, China, relying on China actually may you will get the smaller one only so I think uh, this is a move which is necessary. Okay. Well, let's turn our attention to the Chinese economy. Uh, plenty of data out on on Friday. Um, it was sort of really a mixture of the good, the bad and the ugly. The good was industrial production, which uh, expanded at the fast pace since February last year. The bad was retail sales came in lower than economists' forecasts and, and the rate of increase is slowing. Uh, and the ugly was basically anything to do with the property sector. Um, Frederick, what, what was this data telling you about the state of the Chinese economy? Yeah, it basically tells the uh, the uh, the weakness of the uh, in in the economy has not been changing. Um, so if if it's not getting worse, uh, I mean the two uh, biggest uh, engine uh, right now that the people are looking at it, it's, it's um, you know domestic consumption as well as properties. Uh, right now, property is is really no it's really going nowhere. No one is thinking about buying uh, buying a house uh, because of down payment, because of the uh, you know the uh, affordability, etc. Uh, but the thing is, it's it's not picking up, even though you have put up you know lowering down payment, some sort of the the policy suites, but it, it's just not working. It's it's not s- strong enough. Uh, 
Consumption-wise, uh, I think it's, it's the same thing. You know, for Chinese people cu- culturally, if your properties are not, uh, if your property investments or your your, your stock investments, etc., are not giving you, uh, you know, any any positive return, then that kills your, you know, uh, consumption, uh, you know, appetite. So I think uh, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna be, uh, you know, um, you know, going through this this tough time until uh, you know something comes up uh for instance when the we when the u.s uh you know the uh you know start to you know uh, uh cut rates or you know which which make which um which uh, let the uh, chinese government can you know cut further up uh in terms of loosening monetary uh the policy and that could be a turning point uh but right now it's it's just it's just there Alex, what are your thoughts on the uh, the data? Do you think, as Frederick says, when uh, when the US starts to cut rates next year, um, if it eventually does, that's going to be the turning point for the Chinese economy? I think uh, this uh, that would help uh, help the manufacturing sectors. I think uh, the data I think show the resilience of uh, Chinese manufacturing sector. Mm. So we are probably. Uh, uh, Absorbing the the, 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 the the downside of the plus one strategy already because Chinese manufacturing actually has a very strong advantage in their infrastructure, so um, that is not easy to replace. So I think uh, uh, for that part, uh, that is okay. Uh, but uh, for the consumption part, uh, this is really a confidence issue. And then for the housing market, I think uh, other than those are first tier city, actually, uh, uh, this is very difficult to see a revival in interest in those are. Uh, uh, third tier or fourth tier cities, so uh, it's likely to drag the the spending in those areas uh, for quite some time. So even if U.S. cut rates, I think uh, we probably may not see too much uh, revival in the uh, housing market, but po- probably uh, we may see some improvement in Beijing and Shanghai. But uh, other parts of China is very difficult to rebound. And for the whole Chinese consumption, I think it's a confidence issue. So uh, it's uh, it will take some time. So, so the Beijing and Shanghai, they rolled out some fresh easing measures last week. Is that going to help? And is that something that could be replicated in, in other cities that would make a, a difference? Because if you look at those, uh, those housing numbers, they're not great, are they? New home prices dropped for the fifth consecutive month and, and secondhand home prices down 0.8% now in, in November from October. Yeah, I think that they help to uh, contain the decline in, uh, in Beijing and Shanghai, but for others, cities i think it's very difficult to replicate because uh it needs a uh, info of uh new new people to to support the prices i think uh, uh for cities outside the biggest one i think that is very difficult to attract info so um that's why i don't think uh, this uh, kind of move can be uh, successfully replicated in other parts of china Frederick, what did you make of this big liquidity injection that we saw from the PBOC last week? In fact, the biggest on our record, the PBOC injected a total of uh, 1.45 trillion yuan. That's about $112 billion into the banking system. Uh, taking into account the MLF loans that are going to expire this month, the net uh, liquidity injection uh, is about, 100, uh, about $113 billion. So it's the biggest medium-term liquidity injection ever. What, what, is, is there something going on behind this that's keeping the authorities worried here? Well, I, th- I think that you know the, the the questions is always wondering on on this it's how much of this injection can really pump into the uh, real economy and in what pace um I, I think uh, you know it's just no doubt that the uh, Chinese monetary 
policy it's on the loosening side uh but you know how much loosen can it go at, at this point of time i think uh, considering the uh, uh the the rate gap in between uh, china and us it, it's not going to be massive um the uh the uh, the 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 rmb uh fx is is not really too much of a concern but it, it's really of the uh, capital outflow uh, which uh, which concerns the the, the Chinese government. So, I, I think for the for the near term, uh, you know, th- you know that that's why it's a sort of benchmarking on 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 when U.S. is going to lower the rate. Uh, otherwise, I, I I don't I don't see you know uh, you know some particular you know uh, uh, you know you know uh, you know the the strong stimulus is is, is going to come in. And and did you hear anything from the Economic Work Conference last week that makes you think that maybe uh, some of these policies are going to make a, a difference? I mean, they were talking about any policies that interfere with growth are going to be re-evaluated and potentially changed. Was there was there anything there from that Economic Work Conference that was a, a game changer? No, I, I personally haven't heard something, uh, uh, you know, too outstanding. Uh, apart from obviously, there will be a couple of more re- regulations come out on the on the non bank payments, uh, etc., which is more of a you know industry, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, industry uh, 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 regulating the industry uh, a, a bit further, which is also necessary, I think. Mm. Alex, did you hear anything from the Central Economic Work Conference? Did you get the impression that at least there's more of a sense of urgency in Beijing to try and deal uh, with the growth issues and maybe to make growth um, a priority once again? Actually, no. Uh, I think they have uh, already put so many policies out and I think uh, there's not much surprises to the upside uh, last week. Mm. So uh, we still need to see whether... Uh, uh, they let the private enterprises uh, do the job, and actually, I don't think uh, they can do much uh, from the uh, government side other than uh, losing uh, on the monetary side. And anything to deal with deflation—that that's presumably becoming a big issue as well, isn't it? Yeah, that is a big issue because uh, it would defer consumptions. But I have said uh, that that so many deflationary forces in China right now, so. Uh, uh, it probably would still uh, be a problem, uh, and there's not much you can do uh, because uh, the actually the 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 advance in tech is uh, quite deflationary, especially in China. So it's quite uh, difficult to reverse the trend. Uh, so they need to do something, but I think uh, uh, they, it is very difficult to exercise. Uh, they can pump a lot of uh, liquidity, but the point is uh, the RMB uh, uh, cannot be too weak. So I think, uh, and also the capital outflow issue. So I think uh, that is uh, quite difficult to, to reverse the uh, inflationary picture. Okay, let's turn our attention to the markets. Frederick Global Markets, particularly stocks and bonds, got a, a Christmas present from Jerome Powell last week, who sort of rather suddenly out of the blue um, from saying um, that interest rate cuts were off the table, um, is now indicating maybe three interest rate cuts um, next year. Nevertheless, this is sort of lit a fire under global stocks and bonds, isn't it? Yeah, it was... Uh Quite encouraging, to be honest. I think uh, at least one thing we can be sure is um, the rates. It's not gonna get much higher, uh, more higher uh, next year. Uh, but whether it will just come down like that, I am not hundred percent confident as yet. Because I think you know one only one indicator here is the inflation, uh, which you know the um, 
uh, from the projection uh, of the Fed, the PC is going to be 2.8 and uh, 2.4, as I remember, for, for next year, 2.8 for this year and 2.4 for next year, which is very, very close to the 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 uh, original target, uh, but as yet it, it still has a process of coming down, which it may take another six months or nine months or even twelve months to really come down to the to, to that level. So I think, uh, you know, given all the econo- economic indicators, the job markets are still resilient in in US, even though it's slowing down, but it's still strong. Uh, I not hundred percent confident. Say yes, we are. You know, very comfortable in looking at uh, you know a rake starting in in Q one, Q two, or whatever. Alex, are you? Su- but I think the market. Sorry, Frederick. Carry on. Yeah, I think that the market is just just reacting uh, as naturally when you know the, both the both the S and P and and the Nasdaq are going through the uh, you know going towards the all time high. Alex, are you surprised? This is a very sudden pivot, isn't it, from the November meeting to the the meeting last week? I mean, at the November meeting, there was no talk at all of rate cuts, and Jerome Powell was going out of his way to uh, stamp on any speculation that there could be. And now suddenly we've got three rate cuts. Uh, What what sort of changed in that time? Well, I think uh, it's only the inflationary picture. Uh, Actually, the the, the growth picture remains more or less the same. The job market is still... uh, very resilient, and and the economy actually is doing quite good uh, in the U.S. So um, this is uh, the inflation expectation. I think uh, they are changing. So uh, and and I think uh, probably um, it is too too early to call for a early rate cut. As I concur with uh, Patrick, I think uh, the overall growth picture remains uh, quite good in the U.S. So um, probably the market is too optimistic about the uh, rate cut scenario right now. Uh, but uh, the inflation picture, I think, uh, has changed, and uh, very likely we may still see continued downward pressure on inflation. Well, when you say it's changed, in what way? Because the Fed is still quite a long way from its two percent target, isn't it? I think at least uh, there's not much uh, speculation in uh, the commodities market. Uh, oil actually is quite weak uh, given the uh, Middle East attention, so uh, people are not um, uh, speculating on uh, oil. I think uh, that is helping. And other commodities actually are quite weak. I think uh, uh, apart from the US, other parts of the world actually may not have that kind of a resilience in the economy. So I think that that is helping to contain the global inflation and that is helping the US inflationary picture as well. And probably uh, the job market will still be quite resilient uh, in the US. But I think uh, overall, the uh, global picture probably will help the US to contain the inflation. So is higher for longer? Is that now dead? Uh, I think uh, we may still see uh, a uh, higher rates uh, for at least several months. I think uh, it's, early, it's still early, still too early to call for a rate cut in, in March, I think. so. But uh, the timing of the, of the cut uh, is not too important. I think the market actually pays a... Uh, more emphasis uh, on the direction. So the wake cut may come eventually. So it is not too pivotal, whether it's in June or in March, I think in the market wheels. Frederick, I'm, I'm wondering about the, the markets, Fed fund futures markets, and now pointing to six rate cuts uh, next year, one and a half percent of rate cuts. The markets just seem to be moving away all the time from the, the Fed's forecast. But I'm wondering what on earth could cause the Fed uh, to cut rates six times um, next year? I can't imagine that it could be anything good. 
No, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think towards that as well. I think the market somehow has been uh, over digesting on the, um, on the optimistic side. Uh, I mean, if if you look at the the inflation, as I said, it's you know it, it's still on the, in the progress of reaching down to the to the two percent, which is still a way to go. So if, if we assume in the next six to nine months, you know, the inflation is not dramatically dropped. Then you know, which means the 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 Fed rate is going to be you know remaining at a high level uh, before it really comes down. It's 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 not going up, yes, but it's not coming down either. So it's still maintaining a five point six, uh, you know, you know le- high level, which means the cost of funding is still high. Uh, you know, risk free rate is is still standing up there. You, you know, the, you, the um, uh, which kills the investment appetite as 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 like this year. Um, nothing has been fundamentally been changing. Which then you know, as far as we can see, if if that stands, then the capital markets will more or less be remaining at the same, right? So mm. uh, you know, I I don't see. Really, a, a very strong bright side of things that could happen, uh, unless we have a very solid uh, projection that the rates is going to come down because inflation is really, really going going back to the uh, to the target level. Okay, Alex, Hong Kong stocks. At last, we've had a good week, the best week, in fact, in uh, about four months. Obviously, this imminent end to global rate hikes has um, has helped. Is is this now a game changer? Do you see now maybe we've reached a turning point for Hong Kong stocks? Uh, this is one day strength only. Uh, we have seen too many unsustainable rebound in Hong Kong uh, in in the in the past uh, several months. So it's still too early to call for a reversal. But I think at least uh, probably we may see a bottom finally around sixteen thousand. At least I think it will hold for this year, because uh, the sentiment uh, during the low actually is a uh, is a uh, is too bad. I think uh, at that time. So uh, people was uh, too optim- uh, pessimistic. I think uh, we are likely to see uh, support. And I don't think that people will aggressively short the Hong Kong market because of the uh, rate cut expectation in the world. So short selling probably may uh, subside. And then uh, we may see some uh, catch up buying uh, in Hong Kong for a while. So we are likely to see uh, some more rebound, I think. Uh, but. Uh, I doubt that the upside may be too much uh, because uh, you can always go elsewhere to look for continuous gain. But in Hong Kong, uh, given the um, China uh, uncertainties, people probably may still be very uh, uh, unwilling to put money to commit money for long term. So I think uh, we may see some more upside, but uh, I don't think uh, we may see a uh, very strong gain and a reversal. Are investors sort of taking the view that if they want exposure to China, they can do it without actually the risk of buying Hong Kong and Chinese companies themselves? Because there's Japanese companies, Korean companies, uh, Taiwanese companies with good exposure to China. Is that part of the issue? Yeah, that is an issue because uh, you can see uh, the share price performance in companies like Nike, Adidas, and Hermes, actually, they are they are doing very well uh, mm. despite the weakness in China. So I think uh, they are always a safer place uh, 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 to to play the China consumption story. But so the point is, uh, we have uh, some uh, we have the, uh, the 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 Chinese brand names are to be too depressed uh, right now uh, because of the corporate governance issue and the uh, and then sovereign uh, issue. 
So um, they are quite cheap, actually. And and I think another point is uh, the um, global appetite towards the um, uh, necessary items actually are too bad because uh, people think uh, uh, companies like Costco or, or, or PDD actually are taking over. So people have... Uh, have a have a preference towards those kinds of network instead of brands. So brands for lower price items actually are depressed in the world. But I think that that trend actually is a too overstretched. So we may see some uh, reversal in some brand names uh, in the world. And Chinese also have got uh, some weakness in those sectors. So I think uh, uh, prices uh, brands like uh, beers and 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 probably um, necessity necessity items actually would be okay uh, at this level. Frederick, just a, a few seconds, final thoughts from you on, on Hong Kong China markets. Uh, agree with uh, Alex. Uh, I, I see probably another 5 to 7%, uh, you know, uh, gain back on the uh, five strict months of losses, uh, but not 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 something that, that's, uh, that's a fundamental uh, reversal of the trend. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think that that's, that's also my view. Okay. Well, thank you both very much indeed. Have a great week ahead. That's Frederick Chu, Managing Director at Magnum Research. Alex Wong, who is Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. I'm joined now by Brock Silvers, who is Chief Investment Officer at Kion Capital. Good morning, Brock. Peter, good morning. Good well, to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Well, we had a, uh, a big day of data on, uh, on Friday, activity data uh, for China, retail sales, fixed assets investments, industrial production. It was a bit of a mixture of the good, the bad and the ugly, wasn't it, really? Industrial production looked quite good. Retail sales missed. Um, and anything to do with property looked really ugly. Yeah, look, I think overall the, the data wasn't, uh, wasn't too good. You know, the... Um the the booster crowd will tout the increases, but it but the earlier period comparison is really quite meaningless. Um, we've got to look at the the trends and the expectations, and, and that's where we saw some disappointment. You know, investment and consumer spending both came in positive, but lower than forecast. For example, you know, retail sales came in at ten percent, but we were expecting thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that certainly isn't good. New home prices, especially in big cities, are dropping at an increasing rate, also not good. Um, you know, and recent data have shown declining imports, manufacturing activity, services activity, worsening deflation. What I think this means is it, it puts a nail in the coffin for the, the hopes that the third quarter data was showing that a recovery had arrived. Um, I think that is now, you know, seen as, as never having been realistic. I would say this sort of uneven middling performance, that's exactly what I would what I would expect until we see um, greater kind of systemic reform, which I don't think is likely right now. Do you get the sense uh, that there's any urgency from Beijing in, in dealing with this, particularly after the economic work conference? Do you get the impression at all that at least growth now is at the top um, of the agenda? Because people have been thinking that there are other things that have really been more important than growth, like stability, national security. Is, is growth the, the, the number one priority for the Chinese government? Look, I think the government is certainly uh, is certainly worried about growth and certainly focused on it. You know, China has already responded uh, with an injection of 800 billion yuan. I don't know, 110 or 112 billion USD, mm. which is massive by Chinese standards. But here's the thing that won't matter. 
The problem we're facing now is not a liquidity squeeze. You know, re-lubricating an already lubricated engine does not improve performance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think they are worried about it, but I I, I don't think they've been backed into the corner where they're yet taking the appropriate actions. And as a result, you know, I just don't see 5% as real this year. And I think it's probably less real next year. So what would be the appropriate actions? What would you like to see Beijing do? Well, look, I, I think that they, you know, the we've hit some sy- systemic limits and we need some reform, but that becomes a, a political issue. And if mm. China's not ready to take that route, that's, that's fine. That's over my pay grade. Um, but without systemic reform, I just think we're in for the sort of, you know, middling a bit up, a bit down kind of performance that we've been seeing. And things do seem, you know, the cyclical issue will not be here forever. The cycle will turn. Um, But that doesn't mean we're going back to the growth of yesterday where, you know, yesteryear, we're simply not. Mm -hmm. And let's also keep in mind that a declining U.S.-Sino economic relationship only adds to the expected volatility. Mm. So we're, we're going to meet the 5% growth target this year, aren't we? But are you saying that's really... Are we? that? Well, are we? Do you not think so? Well, uh, look, uh, you know, officially we may. Um, I, I, I'm, I remain extremely skeptical of that and mm. as to how, um, what sort of growth that represents and how real that data may be. So we may hear a 5% claim, but how much of that is kind of... PR? I don't know. So it's clearly off the table then for next year, presumably. It's going to be because it has all the data has benefited from this base effect, hasn't it? Comparing it with a, a period when China was in lockdown, the, the data is not going to get the benefit of that next year. That's right. And and look, the World Bank has just decreased their uh, their expected GDP growth for China for next year. And they're generally more bullish than, than yours truly. Mm. What do you make of these attempts uh, by Beijing and Shanghai to uh, to try and boost the property market, lowering down payment ratios on home purchases, extending repayment deadlines for mortgages? Is that something that's going to work and something that maybe should be followed uh, in other cities? No, look, I think that shows a government that is desperately looking for a solution but hasn't yet uh, amassed the fortitude to do what's necessary. There's, In my mind, there's no package of, of sort of tweaks and uh, and mortgage rate uh, adjustments that's going to solve this problem. Mm. Um, in fact, I think the real estate problem is going to get worse. You know, a single country garden payment to creditors last week is awesome, but it doesn't solve the 2024 problem. And developers are looking at a massive wave of maturities and obligations, which they cannot even hope to meet. Um so that problem is going to grow, not it, 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 it's, it's on the downswing, not the upswing. At the same time, you know, look, local government finances are a mess and land sales aren't going to return to save the day. And LGFVs are facing kind of widespread insolvency issues as well. All of this has the potential to rock the banking sector. I mean, we should be thinking about China Inc.'s larger solvency um, and Beijing, you know, it, it it doesn't have the firepower or the desire to backstop everyone. And that's why we haven't seen a sh- sort of shock and awe stimulus package so far. Um, 
Beijing is probably wise to conserve firepower until more is known, which will then force their hand and they'll have the capacity to step in and do something larger scale. Um, but that's where all the volatility is going to come from next year, I think. Mm. I mean, China's not going to default on its debt, presumably, is it? Because it's uh, it's a net creditor to the world, so net creditors don't normally um, sort of default. But um, but Beijing has got the balance sheets, hasn't it? It could backstop uh, some local governments, some property developers, if it chose to to do so. But are you, do you think that would be the right thing for it to do? Would that help? Well, the problem, you know, look, as a distressed investment professional, I can say that's a very painful process. And it involves involves the government um, really setting out a vision where it's going to have to start picking winners and picking losers. And it it won't be easy and it won't be cheap. Mm -hmm. So that's a major commitment. And that's why, you know, everyone is reluctant to take that step until it's the only step left available. Mm -hmm. And they're not quite there yet. And what about um, the fact that uh, China's in deflation? That's another problem, presumably, as well, that Beijing needs to deal with as a a matter of urgency. Yeah. And look, that's that sort of ties in with some of the other issues, including, you know, there are employment problems as well. Some of that is cyclical, but some of it is is simply not. You know, Mm. there remains a a significant amount of excess production capacity in China, which will continue to exert, I think, a mild but persistent deflationary pressure. Um, And and that's just going to be China's near term reality. So I don't think I don't think that deflation um, you know, for a while we tried to deny it. And, then, you know, I, I think soon we'll declare it uh, to be in the past. I don't think either of those is true. Mm. Is the fact that the Fed is now talking about suddenly, out of the blue, three interest rate cuts uh, next year, could that provide any respite for the, uh, for the Chinese economy? It, it would. That would help the Chinese economy. Whether that was... Um, whether that was planned or appropriately understood remains to be remains to be seen because frankly i was baffled by the idea that we're getting set for a string of 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 rate cuts Mm. the most that i can say is look it is an election year in the u.s and i think there will be a lot of um institutional pressure to reduce rates in order to influence the outcome of that election um and if that happens, uh, it, it will it will release some of the pressure on China's economy, but certainly not enough to solve the problem. It will help at the margins. It does seem odd, doesn't it, that in November the Fed was stamping down on any speculation of, uh, of rate cuts, and then suddenly one month later it's talking about three rate cuts out of the blue. And it, it, it's not as if anyone really thinks that inflation has been conquered Um or that the economy is in the U.S. is doing so poorly right now that there just must be some support. Neither of those is the case. So it, it really was a bit baffling. Um, and we'll have to see if that really turns out to be the case. Could this prove to be a driver for Hong Kong and Chinese stocks, which, let's face it, have had a dire um, year, haven't they? The Hang Seng Index uh, is down over 15% this year. The CSI 300 down almost 14% year to date, although we did get the best rally last week in in four months um, here in Hong Kong. Um, Could this be a turning point for, for Hong Kong and Chinese stocks? 
Well, look, China markets performed terribly this year, um, but this was expected. You know, Money Talk listeners heard me predict exactly that outcome roughly a year ago, a year ago now. Mm-hmm. But looking forward to 2024, I, I think that the year will have more volatility and lower lows than than we've than we saw in 2023. So I'm not optimistic. And the big driver still remains um you know, China's economy, which I expect to muddle along for a while until the government sort of gets forced into taking some stronger action. That's not imminent, I don't think. And that means that I don't expect a great deal from Hong Kong or China markets in, in the coming year. Yeah. I mean, you've been warning me and the listeners all year about the, the Hong Kong markets and the China markets and, and basically saying to, to keep away. And at some point, I think you even said they were uninvestable. But do you think going forward into 2024, is at least are there any signs of a value play here somewhere? No, I, look, I, I wouldn't do it. Not only are the investability concerns still with us, um, but I also don't think that China is is ready to take the actions to turn the economy around. So we have those factors. I, I think that we'll see tremendous, significantly greater volatility in the coming year. And look, the worsening relationship with the U.S. could represent uh, even stronger volatility. And and that, um, you know, as I've said before, that could even grow to threaten the Hong Kong dollar peg which is something that we should talk about on a, on a future segment in the coming year, I think. Well, definitely. We'd love to do that. And, and thank you very much, Brock, for all your contributions and, and expert advice and wisdom this year. Very much appreciated and look forward to talking to you again in 2024. Yes, my pleasure indeed. That's Brock Silvers, who is Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening this morning. Do please take a look at my daily newsletter, which has more information on some of the topics we've discussed today. You'll find that at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. See you tomorrow. Money Talk. 